Hey, good morning, guys. It's, uh, it's uh, good to be with you this morning. I'm sorry we're having some video uh, difficulty. Maybe we can get that video to work for next week. It's a, uh, it's a powerful video as we begin this new series. Um, <clears throat> thanks for uh, Jeff and Emily just for filling in this morning as, uh, as our worship leader is actually out of town this weekend. So I appreciate you guys doing that. Thank you. Great job. Um, I'm excited as we begin our new series, guys. I'm excited as we uh, <clears throat> start talking about bailout. And how, how many of you guys remember professional wrestling? Do you guys remember professional wrestling? Uh, like, like who, who were some of the professional wrestlers? And some of you guys are sitting there, and you're going to, like, not say anything because you're going to think it's, like, cool that I didn't know anything about that. But you're lying when you say you don't know anything about it because it was, like, hugely popular one, at one time. So who, who were some of the, uh, the famous wrestlers, professional wrestling? Who, who were they? Nature Boy, oh yeah, we're going to talk about him in a minute, Nature Boy, oh yeah, who else? Hulk Hogan, Hogan, of course, I mean, you can't talk about wrestling without talking about Hulk Hogan, right, eating your vitamins, and it came out later, he ate more than vitamins, right, Um, as most of those guys did, but who else? The Under, oh my gosh, that dude, I don't know if it's the same guy now, but I guess he's still around, I don't know if it's the same guy or somebody like pretending to be the old Undertaker, but uh, who else? The Rock, yeah, he's, he's a little more current right now. He's like a movie star, The Rock. What about uh, Diamond Dallas Page? You guys remember him? He, he kind of walked around like this. Anybody? You don't remember Diamond Dallas Page? You remember? Okay, thank you. Thank you. I'm showing my age. Who else? Was that WCW? Okay. He was less popular. Okay, okay. Oh, my gosh. Now, that's going back, bro. That's going back. He was like an old-timer when I was a little guy watching wrestling. But uh, uh, one, of my, one of my buddies and I would watch wrestling sometimes when we were younger, growing up. And uh, he was a big Ric Flair fan, right? Nature Boy Ric Flair. And, and Ric Flair would go around and he'd, he'd go like, Woo! Right? Right? He would, he would enter the ring. He'd be like, Woo! But what was his move? You guys remember what his move was? Yes, the figure four leg lock. It was like a submission hold, right? And so he would grab these guys, and, and I won't have anybody, like, show this. Uh, I don't even know how to do it, but he'd grab these guys and wrap their legs up in a way, and it would, like, stretch their legs out, and he'd make them submit, right? But uh, <clears throat> how many of you guys feel like the economy today has got you in a submission hold, right? As I've watched the news over the last so many years, uh, the last two years, really, is it's been its most difficult in the economy as you watch that, you look and you see that, uh, you know, the economy has so many people in what I would call a, a submission hold. And it, it blows my mind at times, the number of people that are glued to the television are glued to watching the stock market. <clears throat> and they, they are almost handicapped by what the economy is doing. There, there's a verse here I want to read to you. It's Proverbs 22.7. It says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, now this word slave that's up there, I have servant in my version. <clears throat> that word in Hebrew is abed. All right, abed. And that word means, means servant. It means slave as it's, as it's uh, interpreted up there. But it also means bondage. And, and so you picture that, 
with somebody shackled, somebody being held down. As the video that we were trying to show you at the beginning shows somebody being taped up and held down in bondage. And this verse says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is in bondage to the lender. The borrower is in bondage to the lender. I, I, doing research and getting ready for this series, I heard another pastor say, as he was teaching a series on money, on money and finances, he said, he said two things, and it struck a chord with me. He said he was excited to do the series, and I'm excited for the series. Because as you look through Scripture, did you know, I've got some stats here real quick, 60%, 66% of the parables that Jesus told were about money. You realize that? 66% of the parables, uh, one in 10 verses in all of Scripture talks about finances. One in 10. So 10% of your Bible talks about finances. Five times as many than prayer and faith. So five times as much information is in here on finances as there is on prayer and faith. Some, some crazy number I saw was like 2,500 verses, 2,600 verses, something like that has to do with finances in your Bible. And so I'm excited for us to go through this because as I look at our economy and as I look at our, our culture, it is very much, in a lot of ways, I see people in, in bondage, almost like they're in a submission hold to the economy that, and what's happening in the economy around them. So I'm excited to go into God's Word and look at the truth of what Scripture has to say when, it, when we talk about that topic. But I'm also, if, if I were to be honest with you, I'm also a little bit nervous. And, and one thing you can always count on me is to, to, to tell you exactly where I'm coming from. And I'm a little bit nervous because I know when we start talking about money, it gets a little weird for people. When, when I start talking about money, I'm a little nervous because when we look at what the Bible has to say, for us to follow that, it's going to take discipline. It's going to take self-control. It's going to take faith, uh, stepping out in trust. And, and it's almost like our culture. Think about the microwave. How many of you guys love the microwave? I'll tell you what, if there wasn't a microwave and my wife wasn't around, I wouldn't eat. Right? Is that true, guys? Seriously. It's like I'm learning how to cook some different things now without the microwave. But for so long, it was like my, the microwave was my means to eat. And, and do you guys ever stand in front of the microwave and you put something in and you and say you got to cook it for just a minute, right? And you stand in front of the microwave and you're like, man, is that done yet? And I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'm just going to go get a snack while I wait for my food to cook for a minute in the microwave. Is that you guys? I, I've been there, right? But that's our culture. It's like we want things and we want it when? Now. We want it now. We want it now. And so I get a little nervous as we talk about finances and money through this series for the next couple of weeks, that we are in that idea that, you know what, when I want something, I want it now. And the way Scripture teaches us is not that principle, is it? Scripture talks about being self-disciplined. Scripture talks about having faith and waiting and trusting God. And so I'm a little bit nervous as we move into this as well. There's, there's a phrase that I want to tell you. It says this. It says, our bailout will occur when our bondage to our bling is broken. Think about that. Our bailout will occur when our bondage to our bling is broken. Right? Have you guys heard that word before, bling? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I used to, this is the old days. My wife still makes fun of me for this sometimes. I had this cross that I wore around my neck, right? And I thought it was cool. And, and when I was a youth pastor, some of the students would call me Papa Bling Bling. And I thought, you know, that's kind of funny. And after a while, I was like, no, that's not really funny. That's kind of lame. Let's get rid of that thing. And let's be a little more grown up about it. But, but I feel like that's kind of where we are with our finances, too. You know, our bailout will occur when our bondage to our bling is broken. We have to understand, guys, that our bling is not our bling. You know, our, the, what we have has been given to us because God's entrusted it to us. I want to ask you guys a question I want you to think about. Can you give too much? Think about that for a minute. That's something I stopped and I thought about this week. Can you give too much? Think about it. Can you give too much? I want to show you a verse. It's Matthew 6, 25 through 27. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? What is this verse explaining to us? It's explaining that that everything we have, we've been given because God has taken care of us, right? And so I ask you, can we give too much? I I would go against cultural grain, and I would say no. I would say that I firmly believe that I cannot give too much. And I say that because I truly believe that what I have, God has given me. And I truly believe that as that scripture says, that God is going to take care of me. Does that make sense? Now, now there are certain sacrifices that you make along the way. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But I truly believe, firmly believe that you cannot give too much. Because I am understanding freshly, even as I live longer and longer now, as I grow older and older. I'm hoping that I'm maturing as I'm growing. And as I mature, I'm understanding more and more that what I have is not mine. It's almost God has entrusted me with a business, right? What I have is God's business. And he has allowed me to manage that business. I want you to look at Matthew 6. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 6. We're going to be in there for a little bit. If you need a Bible, we would love to hand one out to you guys. If you, didn't, if you uh, don't have one, we'd love to give you one. You can call that yours. Put your name in it, take it home. But Matthew 6, verse 1. I want to show you something here. Where we're at is in the middle of the, mount on the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is explaining to those around him what it means to follow Christ. Okay, What it means to give your life to God. And he goes through and he explains to them what it means to live for God. You know, he talks about adultery. He talks about divorce. 
He talks about making promises. He talks about having mercy. He talks about loving your enemies. All right. And then it gets down to this part in chapter 6, verse 1. And, and the first thing he says in regard to how we do this, he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is simply saying that as we live our lives, that our actions should match up with our words. And that our words should match up with our actions, right? This week, I, I, I have taken a challenge that, uh, that a friend of mine has given me. He, uh, he said, you come to the gym with me three times a week, and he's going to help me do some things here with, with the church. And I said, you know, okay, that's a great deal. One of my goals this year, and when I told my wife this, she kind of laughed at me, but I told her, I said, you know, I would love for this year, 2011, to be, one of the, to be the year that I get in the best shape of my life, right? Now, how many of you guys have set some goals back in January? It's already a month late, and you're like, man, I'm still working on that one, right? Or it's like, oh, yeah, that, that wasn't such a good idea. But uh, I opened my mouth last week to this guy, and I said, yeah, that was one of my goals. And the problem was the guy I was talking to runs professional track, or he did. He ran professional track. He went to South Carolina University on a scholarship. This guy is an athlete, man, and he is mixed up with all these other athletes. He knows a ton of people, most of them athletes, and this guy is built, all right? I mean, this guy, he's just trimmed up really I'm going to say nice, but that's going to sound kind of weird. But he's just trimmed up, right? And, and uh, so, so he says, you come to the gym with me. So I went to the gym with him three, three times this week, early in the morning. And, uh, <clears throat> and he's got me doing these exercises with legs, and he's got me doing uh, exercises with my abs and my arms. And then on, uh, on Friday, he had me doing these things called like calisthenics and biometrics. I had no idea what those things even were. But I was like, can we be done with that and go back to bench pressing? Because that's really hard stuff, you know. And, uh, <clears throat> but it, it's funny. I, this week, I, I, I hurt in places I didn't even know existed, honestly. And, and this week, as, as, as I've been going with him, he, he had me do this exercise where you drop down to the floor, you do this push-up, and you stand up and jump up in the air with your hands in the air. And it was hard for me to do like eight of those, all right, three sets of eight of those. And some of you guys are laughing. It's like, all right, we'll try that afterwards because I want to see how well you can do that because it is hard. And he's having me do these ex- other exercises, and I'm just like, bro, I can't do that, you know. And, uh, but, but what's funny is uh, if he was just this, like, big, oversized dude, you know, overweight guy with his belly hanging out of his shirt, sitting there eating a big roast beef sandwich, drinking in this big, big, uh, this big, like, slurpy of dewski, like Mountain Dew, right? If he's sitting there doing this thing and he's telling me, all right, you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this, what would my response to that be? Yeah, right. Right? Would I listen to anything that he told me? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But I listen to him because I look at the way he trains. I look at the way he lives his life. And his body reflects that, you know, how, how, how he's, just, he's, he's fit, he's in shape. I look at that and I say, this guy knows what he's doing. And so when he tells me to do something, I'm going to my, my, I'm give it my all and I'm going to do it. Because I want to look like that. Right? I want to get in the best shape of my life. I want to be fit like that. 
But you know, for a long time, we as the church have looked like that big guy with our gut hanging out, eating a big roast beef sandwich, drinking a big Slurpee, telling the world how to live their lives. We as a church for a long time have not lived according to the scriptures in every area of our life. And so when we tell the world how to live their lives according to God's principles, they laugh at us. And they say, why would I do that? I don't see it alive in your, in your life. I don't see it real in your life. I thought about that this week as I trained with, uh, with my buddy. It's like, how do we as the church get ourselves in a place where our faith, our action screams to the world that we follow Jesus? I believe it comes up here in the next verse that, uh, <clears throat> that is read to us here. Look at verse 2. It says, so when you give. So Jesus then, again, he's explaining to the people around him what it means to follow God, what it means to put their trust in Christ, and what is the first thing he says to us. He says, so when you give. Jesus doesn't say, so, you know, when you pray. When he starts this out, he doesn't say, so when you pray. He doesn't say, so, so when you sing. He starts out this whole idea of, okay, this is how you're supposed to live. So then, when you give, those around you will see your acts. You know, those around you, your faith will scream to those around you that Jesus is real. I told you when I, when I was putting this, this together, part of me was excited because of what the scriptures tell us, and part of me was nervous. I, I want to ask you a question. And I want you guys to be honest with me, okay? I want to ask you a question. This is a good question. I want you to think about <clears throat> your job, all right? Think about your job, and I want to ask you, if your job offered you $120 more a year, what is that, uh, $10 more a month, right? Would you, uh, you were offered that to go move across country, all right, somewhere else, out of state, out of this area, for $120 a year, you know, $10 a month, would you make that move? How many of you guys would make that move for $120 bucks a year? No, no, right? <laughs> you military guys, I don't have a choice. <laughs> That's great. Thanks for your honesty. <laughs> All right, let, let me up the ante here a little bit. How many of you guys, you're offered $1,200 more a year? So what is that, $100 a month, more a month, $100 more a month to make that move out of this area for your job? How many of you guys would make that move for $100 more a month, $1,200 for the year, You know, $1,200? How many of you guys would make that move? Well, okay, one of you guys. Okay, okay. You should have you should have held out held out a little bit, buddy. Um, <clears throat> how many of you guys would make that move if somebody came to you and they said, "I will give you twelve thousand dollars more a year, a thousand dollars more a month to go over here and do the same thing"? How many of you guys would do that? How many of you guys would do that? Twelve thousand dollars more a year. Seriously, put your hand up. How many of you guys would do that? Twelve thousand dollars more a year. 
you guys should have held out. Um, <clears throat> what if somebody came to you and they said, excuse me, they said, I will give you $120,000. I'm going to get my water. $120,000 over this next year. So what is that? How much money is that a month? $10,000 more a month, right? To go somewhere else to work a job. How many of you guys would make that move? $120,000 a year. How many of you guys would make that move? Honestly, put your hands up. Those of you guys that already took the $12,000, you are out. Bet. Tough luck. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> now I want to ask you another question. If I'm offered $12,000 more a year, $1,000 more a month, uh, let, let's get exciting. If I'm offered $120,000 more a year, $10,000 more a month, to go pastor this church, you know, I, I don't know, in Alaska, who knows. Should I take that job? A couple of you guys are like, yeah, you know, be quiet back there. <laughs> You're like, man, you should take it for $120 a year. <laughs> That's a little tougher question, isn't it? You see, in our society, in our culture, we have believed certain financial lies. Let me, let me tell you a few of those. One, have you guys heard this phrase, I want my children to have it better than I had it? Have you guys heard that? That's a financial lie. I heard my mom say that, and I respect that, okay? But at the same time, I, I graduate high school, I go into college, and I'm thinking, okay, I need to live as my parents live. That's not feasible. You know, I'm 20 years old. You know, they're 45 years old, you know, 50 years old. I can't live like I'm 45 and 50. But yet that's one of the lies that we choose to believe from our culture is that my kids should have it better than I had it. What about, this, what about this lie? If I don't have certain things, I won't be happy. Have you guys heard that lie? Have you guys said that lie? I've said that lie before. Man, if, if I don't have that, that, uh, that game system, I won't be happy, Right? You know, if I don't have that car, I won't be happy. Have you guys been there? Believe that lie? And what happens when you get that thing? It's cool for a little while, but it fades over time, right? And it's like, oh, man, you know, that, that was a 2011 model. Now that I got the 2013 model, man, you got to check that thing out. It can do this and this and this. That 2011 model doesn't mean anything anymore. You know, our, our, our society has been great at marketing. They've taught us these things so that we will what? Buy more and more and more and more. Believing that the next thing we buy is going to make me a little more happier. There's a, there's a commercial they have out now that shows a guy <clears throat> walking with like, a, like his, his computer phone. You know, it's like a computer, right, those phones now? He's walking with his phone, and then he, uh, you know, he slaps it down on a table, becomes a laptop, right? And then he goes somewhere else and becomes like this iPad thing, and then he throws it up on the wall, and it becomes this TV on the wall. Have you guys seen that commercial? 
none of that stuff existed like 10 years ago, right? I mean, 10 years ago, the TVs you couldn't even pick up, right? So none of that stuff existed 10 years ago, but we've bought into that idea that I need that stuff, and it's cool stuff, but we bought into that lie that I need that stuff for me to be happy. I don't know about you, but I'm no different than I was 10 years ago because of that stuff. I mean, does it make things a little bit easier at times? Sure, sure. It's nice to be able to take a computer and go somewhere else and do the work that I need to, 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 to do. It doesn't make me happier in my life. What about this other lie? <clears throat> Last one. I'm always going to have a car payment. I'm always going to have a credit card payment. I'm always going to have a student loan. How about those student loans? Wow. Yeah, all the size. Right? At the time, you're like, man, this is a great idea. I'm going to go to school. And then you get done with school. And I, I went to school. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's good. But you get done with school, you're like, man, i got to pay all that back. But we believe that lie, you know, I'm always going to have a credit card payment. I'm always going to have a car payment. I'm always going to have a student loan. I'm always, maybe it's, I'm always going to have a house payment. Did you know that you can live your life without those payments? It takes some discipline. You know, it takes some work, some self-control to get yourself in a place to eliminate those payments. But it's possible. And later through this series, we're going to talk about some of the principles that we can apply to our lives to make that possible. But first, we have to deconstruct the lies that we've been told from our culture that I need that next thing, or no, it's, you're always going to have a credit card payment. We have to de- deconstruct those lies to form a foundation of truth. And that the truth is that what you have is what God has given you. And so the question is, what God has given me, how am I a good steward of that that God has trusted me with? The Bible says that those that are trusted with little can be trusted with much. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say that, you know, give this and God's going to increase you tenfold. But I can stand up here and I can say that when you give, God works in that and and God provides for you through that. I want you to watch this video. Take a look at this video. So I, I hope there's no attorneys. <laughs> uh, that's a great video. But, it, but it, it's a parody over what we're talking about, right? And, and, and Satan there <laughs> actually read us there part of verse 19 through 21 of chapter, uh, chapter 6. And it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I've thought to myself, why does God talk so much in Scripture about money? Like we said, I mean, God talks 66% of the stories that Jesus told in Scripture dealt with money. You know, 66% of the parables deal with money. You know, one in ten of the verses in Scripture deal with money. Why does God talk so much about money in the Scriptures? And you know, the reason I believe that is, is I believe God cares about money because He cares more about our heart. And if you don't leave with anything this morning, I want you to leave with this. 
God cares about your money because God cares more about your heart. And as Scripture tells us, and as we've talked about this morning, where our money is, there our heart is also. And so I I guarantee you open up somebody's checkbook and you watch where they spend their money, that is where their heart is as well. And so Jesus, again, he talks so much about money because he cares more about our heart. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys here. Connie and I have not always been wise with our money. Not always. And, And it was really about four years ago where God really opened our eyes and showed us some things that changed really our vision for our life. And, you know, I asked you those questions, how many of us would make the move for this much money? I want to challenge us in that because I don't want money to be the driving force for our decisions. I want the vision for our life to be the driving force for our decisions. And so I want to ask you guys this week to think about what is the vision for your life? And so I told you, like four years ago, God really challenged my wife and I in this. And as we looked at our lives, we said, okay, there's a couple things that we want to be the driving force behind our life. You know, one of those, one of those driving forces was we were just starting to have kids about that time. And we said, you know what, we want Connie to stay home and raise our kids. My mom had done that for us for a period of time. Connie's mom had done that for them for a period of time. And just us, I'm not saying that's everybody, but just us, we saw the value in that. And we said, okay, we want that to be one of the driving forces within our decision-making when it comes to finances, is we want to put ourselves in a place that Connie then is able to stay home with our kids. And so that was a decision that we made of how we spent, spent our money and the sacrifices that we would make for that. Okay? A, uh, <clears throat> another thing, another driving force within our decision-making is we've kind of said early on, we want, to, you know, we want to have more than just one or two kids. We love kids. We love being around kids. Uh, my kids, I don't, you know, your kids, you can have your kids. But I, I love my kids, you know, seriously. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and so I, I, we're, we're getting ready to have our third kid, and I, I want to have at least another one. You know, I want to have four and, and, you know, some people, you'll, I, know, I know this, I'll walk into a grocery store, you'll see four little ones trailing behind us, uh, just like a duck crossing the street, right? And, and people are going to look and be like, man, that dude's nuts. And that's all right, maybe I am nuts. But I love my kids, you know, I love hanging out, love playing with them, love wrestling with them, uh, especially because I'm big enough I can win now. As that changes, that might change a little bit as they get older. But, uh, but part of the driving force of the decisions that we make in our lives is, all right, we want to make some, some sacrifices so that we can have a larger family, right? You know, another driving force within the decisions that we've made within our life, and again, this is something that's fresh for us just in the last four years, is we said, you know what, we want to get ourselves in a place where there is no debt and that we can move wherever God wants us to go. And so that was something we started working on about four or five years ago, get ourselves out of debt so that we could go wherever God wanted us to go. And that's one of the reasons that I'm here, my wife is here in Virginia Beach now. We believe that God wants to use us to plant a new, fresh church here in Virginia Beach. And that could not happen if that was not a driving force within the vision that we had for our lives. 
with, within what, what determined how we would spend our finances, how we would leverage our finances. So that was a vision, a driving force behind our decision-making. Another decision that we've made within our lives is, we, again, this is something that we're continuing to grow in this area. And we're seeing more and more what God has given us is not ours. And so we want to give more and more away. As we get older, as we, as we mature and as we grow in age, and as God blesses us, we want to give more and more away. So we've lived here for about two and a half years now, and we've always had somebody living in our house, they, they, not for income, they don't pay rent or anything, but they've needed some help here and there. And We've had three different people living in our house, all but I think maybe three months that we've been here. And so we've kind of compiled kids in one room, and, and we've left that other room empty because we want to be able to help people as they need help. We had an intern in for the summer, and we said, you know what, this is important. This is a great opportunity for him to grow. He can stay with us for a couple months this summer. And so we've made that decision financially that we want to be able to do those things. So I want to ask you guys, what is the vision, the driving force behind your decision-making with your finances? I want you to think about that this week. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, the plans of the diligent lead to proficient, I'm sorry, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. I'll read that again. I don't know if we have that or not. Maybe not. I'll read that again. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So I want to ask you, what is going to be the driving force behind the decisions that you will make financially within your life? Because as Scripture points out, and as I have lived through experience at times, when there is no driving force that is helping me make those decisions, I consume more and more and more and more. I, I find it amazing that we live in the country with the most money, and the most obesity in the world. And yet we say we don't have enough. That's amazing to me. As I've looked at other countries and I've been around the world, we live with the most money and the most food. And if there is not a driving force behind our decision making, we as creatures of habit tend to just consume, consume, consume based upon those financial lies that we talked about earlier. And I can tell you, as we have restructured our life and created a vision for what God wants to do through our lives, what we believe God wants our lives to be about, those things I mentioned to you, it has been awesome to step back. And I tell you this out of truth, guys. This is dead honest truth. It is awesome to step back and watch how God has provided. Did you, I've, I don't know if you know this or not, I've been given two cars in my lifetime. Given to me. Uh, this was seven years ago, eight years ago. <clears throat> um, I needed a car. My car broke down. The, the last time I drove that car, it was awesome. It was like a five-speed little geo car. It was sweet. I love that car. But the last place I drove it was to the dump. You know, that guy drove that car to the ground. And so I was without a car, and somebody gave me a car. They said, here, you can have this car. 
I mean, it wasn't like this great, fantastic car, but it ran. It got me where I needed to go. And guess what? I paid nothing for it. Uh, just recently, that I drove that car then until I drove it to the ground. My, the brake snapped one day. and It was, it was sweet. Uh, it didn't hit anybody, so that was cool. But uh, I drove it to my mechanic then with partial brakes, and I said, all right, man, what do we got to do to get this run? He said, bro, you're done. <laughs> he said, there's so much rust underneath, you're done. I said, all right. So next place that car went, I told, called the tow truck, and they towed it off to the, to, to the dump. And so I waited and I prayed. I was like, okay, God, how, how do you want us to fix this solution? I just don't want to go out and get this huge, nice car and to have this huge payment. Because, again, part of my vision in my life is to be flexible and to be open so that God can move me where he wants to move me and do with me what he wants to do with me. And part of that vision, guys, is this church. I couldn't do the things that I'm doing right now if it weren't for certain financial decisions that we had made to lead us to the point to free us up a little bit so that I could put more energy into this. And so we stopped and we prayed. It's like, okay, God, how are you going to provide for this need? And would you know that a guy said, hey, I'll give you that car if you can get it running. And so I spent a couple hundred bucks and I got that car running, and that's the car that I drive now. It's a little Toyota. It's like a 91. So it's like taken back to high school days, right? But uh, it gets me from point A to point B. It's great. It's great. I remember being in seminary. We had two cars. My one car broke down. I had no way to get it fixed. I had no money to fix this car. It sat in my drive for a month or two. And then a guy in the church comes to me and he said, your car not running? I said, no. He said, well, let me come look at it. He comes, looks at it. And uh, he says, oh, it's just a radiator and this or that. He said, I can do that. And I said, well, you know, I don't, I don't really have the money to be able to do that right now. He's like, oh, don't, no sweat. I'll do it. No problem. The guy went and bought me a radiator put it in my car. And so I say these things, guys, because it's, it's awesome to step back when you give God your finances and say, God, use this as you want to use this. It amazes me the things that I see God do within my life. And, and the thing that blows my mind as I wrap this up, the thing that blows my mind is the number of us that sit in, sit in a church that, that claim to follow Christ. And, and, and if you were to ask them, have you ever seen God do something amazing in your life? the majority of people would say, no, I haven't. And I would challenge in that, and I would say, well, have you ever put yourself in a place that everything relied on God to move? And when you do that, you're going to see God move. And I can tell you, I love being there, guys. There is no better place to be. So as we finish this up, I want to just challenge you, what is the vision that God has given you for your life? How does God want you to live your life and the finances that God has entrusted to you, what does he want you to to do with that? How does he want you to leverage those things for his kingdom? How does he want to use you and the vision that God has given you for your life and leverage leverage those finances, those things that he's entrusted to you towards that vision? Think about that this week. And as we go through this series, we're going to be throwing some other things into the mix of how we can get ourselves in that kind of place to fulfill that vision. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity today to look in your word and to see how you challenge us, Lord, that the things that we have are not ours, but they are yours. The things that you have entrusted to us, Lord, we, we, we are like running your business. Lord, I thank you for that. And Jesus, I pray that you will continue to teach me some of those principles, Lord, that we've been talking about. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would teach all of us some of those principles. 
so that we can leverage the things that you've given us to fulfill the vision that you have given us for our lives and the things that you want us to be about in our lifetime. And Lord, that vision is different for all of us. But Jesus, I thank you for how you provide for us. I thank you for that we are more important to you than anything that walks the face of this earth and that you watch after us. So Jesus, I thank you most of all that you care about money because you care more about our hearts. And so Jesus, I pray that through this series we would fall more deeply in love with you, Jesus, and that you would grab a hold of more and more of our hearts and that we would see you do amazing things. It's in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.